Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, for your goodness, and we do offer our praise to you, offer our hallelujah to you. Thank you for your love that's never ending, your promises that are true. Thank you for eternal life. As we open your word, we pray that you give us soft hearts, ears to hear, and that you would plant your word deep in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Attack is difficult, and any time that we endeavor to serve the Lord, make a difference for God's kingdom, there are going to be those attacks that come. We find that in chapter 4, the children of Israel were attacked externally, those from outside coming against them. But then there was division from within. There was attack that was happening in the midst of their ranks. What we're going to find this week in chapter 6 is that the attack comes upon Nehemiah personally. There will be those times in our relationship with the Lord where it just feels that we're getting attacked very specifically, very uniquely, very personally. And you might find yourself in one of those seasons. And what we learn from Nehemiah is really applicable uh, for our lives. Verse 1, now it happened when Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me harm. Anytime you get an invitation to have a meeting in the valley of Ono, (laughs) you probably shouldn't go, right? Oh no, here we go. And on surface level, this seems good. You've got the enemies to this building project, the wall being built, that want to meet, that, that want to work things out. But Nehemiah can see their hearts, can see the intent behind it, and they actually want to do harm to Nehemiah. If you're taking notes, write down distraction. The Valley of Ono is distraction. There will be times when people will come against you and they don't want to meet for reconciliation. They don't want to meet for mutual edification. They're actually wanting to have a meeting to bring destruction. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's rare. That, that's the minority. Most of the time, when someone wants to meet with you, they're wanting to have reconciliation. They're wanting to see things go in the right direction. But there are those times where there are some conversations to be avoided. There's verses uh, in the Proverbs that talk about you're, you're better off wrestling a bear than arguing with a fool. Like, you don't want to necessarily go to have a meeting that's going to be counterproductive. In conversation, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy. And if someone's heart is not in the right place, you're simply entering into a giant distraction. You're entering into the Valley of Ono. If the enemy can get Nehemiah to stop building the wall, they've won. Things have come really far. There's no more gaps in the wall. They've got to do the gates, which are really important, and hang the doors. But this would be a good time for Nehemiah to be distracted. So pray through, is this conversation needful or is it a distraction that's keeping me from God's work? But sometimes the distraction's a lot more subtle. The Valley of Ono is a lot more subtle. 
Would you agree that we live in a really distracted culture? Uh, Wait a second, I got a text here. (laughs) But this is a huge distraction, isn't it? Would you agree that we're all called to spend time with the Lord? We're called to spend time in the Word and prayer, growing in our relationship with Him. But so oftentimes we go to spend time in the Word to build the wall, if you will, but we get distracted. I love Bible apps. Bible apps are so convenient. Bible's always with me. I can read God's Word. But sometimes when I'm going to read God's Word on my app, then all of a sudden there's a text that I forgot to get back to. And then there's Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and my goodness, ESPN, right? And before you know it, that 15 minutes, that half hour that I had to spend in time in God's word, it, it's gone. I, I could be having my, my Bible out and my phone next to my Bible and, and face those same distractions. And it's, it's a very real valley of Ono that is presented to us. We would probably all agree that we're supposed to love people. God wants us to be present with people. That's the modern day wall that we're building, to be present with our families and our kids and and loving our neighbors and and greeting people. And our phones and screens really keep us distracted from doing that as well. So a little over a week ago, I took our younger two kids uh, to go to some big air jumpers uh, here in town. Beautiful night, a lot of parents out, and the parents are sitting on benches watching their kids play. Perfect, right? Kids are getting out a lot of energy. And I just kind of looked around, and, and all the parents had their faces in their phones, just watching their phones, not really aware of their kids. And there's a little boy, and he was four or five years old, and he starts to go, Dad, Dad. He's getting louder. Dad, Dad. Now, usually, kids went out on that. And they're going to be so loud that they get your attention, but this boy was never able to get the dad's attention, was never able to get him off of of his phone, and, and the boy wanted the dad to come play with him, wanted him to come out on the, the big air jumper. And I'll, I'll admit, I get there as a parent too. There's, there's sometimes that my face is in my phone when it needs to be with, with my, my kids, but it hit me in that moment, like we're losing out. We're losing out on the most important things in life. So the Valley of Ono may be a conversation that needs to be avoided, or it may be our phones. It may be time to put our phones down and be able to be present with people and present with conversations. I'm curious what future generations will conclude. It's, it's possible that kids are growing up and they're saying, you know what? I grew up with my parents always on their phones. I don't want that for my life. I hope so. I hope they shift. I hope they, they make a change. Those that designed our smartphones, they designed them to make us dumb. Did you realize that? They really purposefully put them together with how many ways can I get you into your phone? How many ways can I get you trapped into your phone? So let's pray through that a little bit. Say, what's this distraction in my life that's keeping me from the things that God is calling me to? And how do I say no to that Valley of Ono? In verse 3, So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? The reason that Nehemiah could say no to the distraction is he knew what God had called him to. And that calling was so clear 
But then when something came in to threaten it, he was like, nope, I, I can't leave this calling. I can't leave the importance of building this wall. We may wonder what our calling is. We haven't been given the task to, to build a wall. We've been called by the Lord to know him and, and to make him known, to love God, to, to love people, to focus on God. What do you really have for me in this season? Time's really flying by. Our lives are, are going forward at, at a fast rate. And we only have this moment in time, right now. And, and what is it that God would have for us? In verse four, but they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. This invitation to the Valley of Ono, they're persistent. They gave it to him four times and each time he responds in the same way. Each time he says, nope, I can't leave the work that God has called me to do. In verse five, then Sanballat sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. So this time, not an invitation to the Valley of Ono for a conversation, but a letter that's delivered. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So it goes from distraction to accusation. This accusation had to have bothered Nehemiah, that Nehemiah was self-proclaiming to be king of Judah because he was the king's cupbearer in Persia. They're under captivity of the, the Persians. The king gave Nehemiah his permission to go and rebuild the wall gives his blessing, helps fund it, says, here's some money for the lumber. Here's an armed guard to get you safely to Jerusalem. So for Nehemiah to proclaim himself to be king would go against that relationship. Nehemiah is not interested in being the king. He's not even taking the governor's provisions that were, were due him. This is farthest from the truth, but this accusation was for the purpose to discourage Nehemiah from, from doing the work. And there will be those times where you set yourself in that direction of, man, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be faithful in my family, faithful in my workplace. And as you go down that road, then someone accuses you of doing the exact opposite. And the closer that accusation, if it's from your inner circle, man, it hurts in a, in a deep way. There's a pastor in town, wonderful man, Bob Bender, and he's been a senior pastor for 50 years. Last year, they had a 50-year celebration uh, for him, which is just amazing to me, 50 years as, as, a, as a pastor. And he shared at a pastor's lunch about seven years ago that there was a time where he was pastoring in another state, and there were some accusations that came against him as a pastor. And they, they were unfounded, they were untrue, but it was really causing a lot of personal hurt and damage in the, in the church, tough time in ministry. And he said this about that experience. He said, time is on the side of integrity. Time is on the side of integrity. And God really convicted him to continue to walk in integrity. And over time, it became exposed that those coming against him were, were lying. And if you're in this position where you're experiencing false uh, accusation, 
Think about it in Nehemiah's life. As he continues to walk in integrity, that's going to become more evident. It's clear he doesn't want to become king, but it also becomes clear the hearts of Sambal and Tobiah, that, that these guys are the ones that are actually wrong in this, this scenario. Sometimes you can't clear it up with your words. Sometimes you have to clear it up with your actions. Also, we want to be aware that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He loves to, to bring accusation against us. We need to be able to spot his lies. Loves to put those thoughts in our minds. God doesn't really love you. God's not going to be faithful to his promises. God can't use you. We also want to be careful that we don't go down this road of accusing other brothers and sisters in Christ. Because before you know it, we could fall right in line with Satan's playbook. Maybe you come to church on a Sunday morning, you're all excited to be here, you bump into a friend, and they don't greet you. They don't smile, they don't say hi, they kind of ignore you, and you're hurt, and you're offended. And by the time you get home, you've run them under the bus. You've pretty much sent them to hell in your mind, right? Go, man, I get treated better by unbelievers. I can't believe that they would treat me that way. I thought that they were friends. And they may have just been having a bad morning or not feeling well or gotten some, some difficult news, but our minds can so quickly go to that accusing. And our families, those that we know deep down love us the most, but we sin against each other, and before you know it, we're starting to accuse them. We're starting to think the, the worst of them. So, so we don't want to allow Satan to accuse us and live in condemnation, but we also don't want to accuse others. If you find yourself in a place from false accusation, the best thing to do is keep walking in integrity. Verse 18, or verse 8, Then I sent to them, saying, No such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. So he speaks with truth. He, he says the truth. This is simply being made up in your own heart. He understands the heart of these accusations, why they're making the accusations. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. They want Nehemiah to be afraid. They want his hands to be weakened in the work of rebuilding the wall. And the enemy would like to do the same to us. The enemy would like to weaken us to the point where we give up on the things that God has called us to do. One of the things that can be the most discouraging is false accusation, is having especially other believers come against you. And if you're not careful, you can go, man, this is so hard, this is so, so difficult, I'm having a hard time seeing God accurately and seeing the situation accurately, my hands are weak, I'm just gonna give up, I'm just gonna throw in the, the towel. Satan wants us to be in a place of fear. I think he's been attacking overtime with fear. An easy response to the times that we're living in is one of fear. In 1 John, it says that fear torments, but perfect love casts out all fear. In some way, if fear has entered into our hearts and lives, God would want to set us free from that, to deliver us of that this morning so we're not in a place of fear. Do you resonate with this? at some point where you're like, man, my hands are weak. Nehemiah must have been feeling weak because he prays, Lord, would you strengthen my hands? It's personal. 
There's times that he prayed this for the whole group, but right now he, he's praying it for himself. God, would you strengthen my hands? <laughs> I had uh, in between services a gal that's doing children's ministry. Children's ministry goes through the same section of scripture. She said they were talking about God's strength, and one of the little boys says, I don't need God's strength. I got Hulk muscles. <laughs> Oh, man, I love that. This is so funny, you know? There's the mind of a little boy, like, why, why would I need God's strength? I'm plenty strong, you know? And there's those times where we may feel that way, that we have strength in and of ourselves. Actually, the best place for us to be is in weakness, where, God, I don't have the strength. I need you to strengthen my hands. The way we encounter God's strength is by waiting on him, drawing near to him. Do you feel strengthened this morning in worship? As you sang hallelujah to the Lord, God strengthened you. You were waiting upon him. You were drawing near to him. And that's what happens as we draw near to him. That's the way that we receive his strength. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mitabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of our God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you indeed at night they will come to kill you this has to be an acquaintance of nehemiah because nehemiah goes to his house shemaiah's house and shemaiah says nehemiah they're, they're coming tonight to kill you so we need to take refuge in the temple these are a couple more tactics of the enemy when he attacks us is to isolate us hey, let's go alone to the temple. There, there's a reason for us to, to not be with the, the children of Israel. If there really is a threat on Nehemiah's life, why not be with the Israelites who are working together on this, this building project? There's a pastor in, in Florida, and after service, a guy came up to him and said, hey, can I meet with you privately? And the pastor said, okay, why don't we just meet right here in the, the cry room? Service was over. No one was using the, the cry room. And the man went ahead and beat up the pastor, beat him up to the point of putting him in the hospital. And there's been times where people are like, hey, can I, can I meet with you alone? And that story's been in the back of my mind. <laughs> and I'm getting some discernment bells going off a little bit. I'm like, no, if you've gotten something to say, you can say it right here, like, Right out here in the foyer is a great place for us to meet. Now, there's lots of times where a private meeting is just fine. You know somebody, you trust somebody. But have your discernment up for someone saying, hey, we got to have this alone conversation. But, well, wait a second. I don't know you. Well, why do we have to have this alone conversation? It's this isolation to too much of a degree where you go, something is not right in this situation. And there is an overarching principle, a truth in scripture, that Satan will try to isolate us. Just as Satan's been trying to get our society in fear, also to get our society in a place of isolation. We need to be with one another. We need to be in relationship. God is relational. He's created us to, to be in relationship. So if you look at someone's counsel, direction, and it's moving towards isolation. It's moving away from Christ. It's moving away from, from God's people. Go, wait a second. That, that's not right. God's going to move me towards him and towards his people. 
But not only is there isolation, but there's manipulation. And in fact, it's spiritual manipulation, which can be the hardest to deal with. Well, let's go into the temple. Well, who doesn't want to go to the temple? Of course I want to go to the temple. Of course I'm going to take refuge in the temple. And unfortunately, sometimes people will try to take advantage of you, and they will use the name of God to do it. And they will use scripture to do it. Satan knows the scripture as well, and he's going to twist it. So if there just seems to be, you know, too much uh, praise the Lord's on top of that conversation, you're like, this, this just doesn't even seem genuine. Like, you're, you're trying to use the Lord to, to get something from me. And then I'll listen to that. Okay, that doesn't seem to make sense. They're using this verse, but it doesn't line up who, with who Jesus is. It doesn't line up with the message of, of the Bible. So don't allow someone to use spiritual manipulation as well. And Nehemiah, he spots it. He's able to see what's going on in verse 12. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. He sees that they're trying to get him to be in a place of fear. And he says, I'm not going to respond to this death threat and fear. I'm not going to put the temple in jeopardy for my own safety. In Proverbs 28 verse 1, it says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And Nehemiah shows that, that boldness. In verse 12, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sinballat had hired him. Underline, then I perceived that God had not sent him. It's that discernment. It's the understanding, hey, things are not right here. This is not making sense. This is not adding up. So Shemaiah was actually hired by Sambal and Tobiah to try to get Nehemiah to act in fear so they could have an evil report against Nehemiah. Years ago here at RMC, we had a, a guy that was uh, protesting the church, and he did it every Sunday for about a year and a half. He was really diligent, and he would be out by uh, the gas station, and he'd have these signs that says, RMC supports pornography, and all these, these kinds of things. And what had happened is there was a guy in our church that wanted to put an ad in the independent, the local uh, newspaper, uh, saying, need Jesus, call RMC with the church's phone number. It was a, a simple ad, but he had a heart for people that might be reading the independent. And someone saw that and said, well, church funds are paying to support the independent and didn't you know, agree with some of the things that were in uh, the independent. And we obviously don't agree with everything in the independent, but it was an opportunity to share, share Jesus uh, with people. So they're all so upset. They're protesting and saying that we support pornography. And it came out over time that the guy that was doing the protesting was actually hired by the person who was offended. So he wasn't even personally offended, but someone was paying him every Sunday because they were offended to come and protest the church. And I got to tell you, he was really good. Like he was a really good protester. He'd be angry and holding the signs. He'd follow people to their cars. And I was so surprised that I heard he was simply getting paid. I was like, we need to hire that guy <laughs> to, to go preach Jesus, to go tell people uh, about Jesus. But 
He had simply been hired to, to do that, that task. And verse 13, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for evil report that they might reproach me. <clears throat> we don't like to think this way, but there are some people that will try to put you in a trap, that, that will try to put you in a position where they can have something evil to say about you, and, and Nehemiah is able to spot that and, and realize that. I love, once again, how Nehemiah goes to the Lord in prayer with this. We really see Nehemiah's heart for prayer and his relationship with God. He says, my God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works, and the prophetess Nodada and the rest of the prophets who have made me afraid. He commits to the Lord those that are doing him wrong. He says, Lord, you know, you see, may, may you remember, you're, you're a God of justice, revenge belongs to you. And it's easy for us to try to take things in our own hands, especially if it's a personal accusation, but give it over to the Lord, trust it to him. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus understood what it was to be falsely accused, to be put on trial to the point of death for things that, that he didn't do, commended over to the Lord. Because it's really easy for bitterness to take hold in our hearts and our lives. So verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elah in 52 days. In 52 days they were able to rebuild this wall around Jerusalem and the temple. God is able to do great things in a short amount of time. When we started the book of Nehemiah, was there something burdening your heart where you go, here's the temple. God's spirit lives in us as believers, but the wall of defense is broken down, so you've been praying and taking actions to see the wall be rebuilt. Don't give up. Keep going. Yeah, the enemy's going to attack doesn't want to see your marriage protected, doesn't want to see your teenager protected, doesn't want to see your, your sexual integrity protected. But the Lord does. Keep pressing into the Lord. And through a season of faithfulness, by God's grace and his strength, God's able to rebuild that wall. It took 52 days of hard, diligent work, but the Lord was faithful and the wall is completed. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that beautiful? The enemy, even the enemy could see, man, this was the Lord. The Lord did this. And the enemy gets disheartened. In the book of James, it says, draw near to God, submit to God, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. Keep fighting the fight. Whether the attack is external or it's internal or it's a personal attack and eventually the enemy's going to get discouraged. Eventually the enemy is going to flee. In verse 17, also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. The letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ra, and his son was I'll let you guys wrestle with those names. Those. But what happens here in verse 17 and 18 is Tobiah, who's coming against Nehemiah, is related to some of the Israelites. 
He's connected through relationship. So some of them thought that Tobiah was actually a good guy. In verse 18, also they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So Nehemiah doesn't try to convince them otherwise, but simply states that Tobiah did try to frighten him through the letters. This is where false accusation gets really hard, or when someone's offended at you, is they're usually in relationship with some of your family, some of your friends, some of your fellow co-workers. So it would go something like this, where they're talking about Nehemiah, Tobiah's talking about Nehemiah. Hey, hey, did you hear that Nehemiah is really here because he wants to become king? Nehemiah's at In-N-Out getting a burger, sees one of his good friends, and all of a sudden it's a little strange. It's a little weird. Things are, things are different. And he can tell his friend wants to ask him a question, and his friend says, so when did you start your campaign to be king? And Nehemiah's like, I'm just trying to have a cheeseburger. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, like I don't even want to be king. I have a huge respect for the king of, king of Persia. And that person who's upset is connected to someone that Nehemiah's in relationship with. I mean, we see this inside of, of families. Maybe the, the daughter-in-law is upset at the mother-in-law and starts to share that with the rest of the family and try to isolate her kids from her mother-in-law and eventually wins out and doesn't allow the mother-in-law to see any of her, her grandkids. And then half the family's looking at this woman with these critical glasses all because of this one person who, who was offended. Sometimes you see it in custody battles with kids where someone really desires for, for, for their kid to be with them all the time. And so they have some false accusations. Sometimes there's genuine real accusations, but sometimes there's, there's false accusation and that starts to, to spread around. Sometimes someone's offended in a, in a church. They get offended by a pastor. They get, they get offended by another brother or sister in Christ. And instead of dealing with it in the appropriate way, they, they start to go and share it with others. And, and all of a sudden, you see that things have gotten weird and you th see things have gotten strange and, and all of a sudden you're like, man, somebody just squeezed all of the toothpaste out of the tube. Like th this has gotten messy. And that's what Nehemiah is dealing with. But he doesn't focus on it. He doesn't go into great detail of why Tobiah is wrong. He simply says, yeah, Tobiah tried to threaten me with these letters and he lets the Lord sorted out. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 and we'll conclude here but we see how we're able to deal with the personal attack of the enemy. How we're able to deal with accusation that may come against us. Revelation 12 verse 10 the last book of, of the Bible. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So Satan loves to bring accusation, does it day and night, but he's been cast down 
And this is how they overcame Satan. This is how they overcame the enemy. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. How did they overcome accusation? Hold on to the blood of the lamb. Yeah, you may be disappointed in me. You may be saying this about me. But ultimately, I know that Jesus has died for my sins. And I'm living in the covering of the blood of Jesus. I'm holding on to the blood of Jesus. Jesus understands what it is to be falsely accused. Hold on to the word of your testimony. This is God's story in your life, remembering God's faithfulness in your life. This section in Nehemiah is a pretty quick read but it's extremely painful if you walk through it. This personal attack is very hard. It can get you disrailed really easily, and it can be hard to keep a right view of God in the midst of this kind of trial. This is a great time to remember God's faithfulness. Lord, you are faithful here. You are faithful here. You are faithful here. I know you're gonna continue to be faithful. Hold on to the word of your testimony, God's story in your life, especially when you're, being personally attacked. Then lastly, they didn't love their lives to the point where they were scared of dying. Sometimes we can get so attached to this life that our number one concern is, man, I don't wanna die. I don't wanna die, I don't wanna die. And we're to have a love for life. Jesus gives us abundant life. We're not rushing our death by any means, but we don't wanna be in a place where we're so in love with this life that we're doing everything that we can to protect this life. Yeah, there might be some people that are upset with us in this life, especially if we follow Christ. There may be some people at the, your workplace that really don't understand who Jesus is and your commitment to Christ. There could be some division that happens in families because you've decided to, to follow the Lord. My uncle really came against my dad when he got saved and decided to follow, follow the Lord and for years wouldn't have, have anything to do with my dad simply because my dad was trying to follow Christ. But all of those things are temporary. As hard as those things are, they're temporary and we're going home to be with the Lord. Hold on to the blood of Jesus. Hold on to the word of your testimony, God's faithfulness in your life and hold on to eternal life. If you're under that personal attack, remember, time's on the side of integrity. Keep walking with the Lord, and things are gonna be named, made known. People's true colors are gonna be seen. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we don't like it when there is this personal attack. And I know for some that they're walking through it right now. They're, they're going through real difficulty, whether it's distraction or accusation. But we do choose to hold on to your blood, Jesus, what you have done for us on the cross. Our, our identity is in your love. We remember your faithfulness. You've been faithful in the past. You'll be faithful in the present. You'll be faithful in the future. We do thank you for eternal life. We thank you that this life is not all that there is. Pray for those that are walking through false accusation, that you give them great wisdom and strength. 
just like you gave it to Nehemiah. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.